spent too much time in California. Now I got that Rona. Gotta be a loner. Staring at my phone. Gotta be a loner. Gotta be a loner. All right. And welcome back to the uh, the Alona virus. Back from the last episode, but for the first time in this episode. And I'm going to be talking to my friend Gabe, who is zooming in from Los Angeles, which is where I spend most of my time, but I'm not there now. So you are going to be my resident expert for now. Welcome, Gabe. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate you talking. This is awesome. I usually have uh, way more intensive notes, but I feel like I didn't, I didn't, Put down too much. I'm gonna fly by the seat of my uh, my quarantine sweatpants. I think. <laughs> I assume you've been uh, right. spending your quarantine pretty comfortable. Yeah, it's been uh, pretty nice. You know, spending my time um, listening to a helicopter fly over my house right now. Um, How many my- Zoom conversations do you think that helicopter is in right now? Oh, I would say. of the conversations happening. I would say like, you know, a couple million maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I also live by a hospital. So um, I've got two hospitals. I got the children's hospital and then I've got another one that's down the block. Um, And they're, they're, I think they're trauma one centers. So they're always flying in um, and out. And occasionally there'll be searching for someone in the neighborhood. So there's always a helicopter. Sure. Um, but my, yeah, my, my quarantine has been relatively relaxed. I mean, outside of when I have to like go out and about, um, you know, like the grocery stores have lines in them and they're typically like, you know, whatever percentage of the square footage is. I don't actually know what the rules are, but there'll usually be a line recently. It's not, it hasn't been too crazy. Um, but other than that, I just kind of like, you know, hanging out in my apartment, my girlfriend's here, as well as our two dogs. And then uh, to pass the time, I'm making videos or absurd stuff on content or content for the internet. Um, Great TikTok videos. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, it's, um, it's been fun. I think it's, it's been as insane as like TikTok and Instagram are, it's been keeping me sane to just like make stuff, you know, because yeah. I feel like I get too antsy not doing anything. Um, so it's kind of been nice to do that. And also just like, you know, go to the, go to the park with the dogs and kind of run around and do work out in the apartment. But other than that, like, it's not too crazy. Um, or at least not yet. Yes. So if you look, um, at the news today about Los Angeles, pretty much everything is talking about how LA is gearing up to be at the point of New York in a couple of days, like the huge number yeah. of cases within they say like three to five days there was a hospital boat that pulled up yeah um that doctor whatever uh within the last day i think and so i mean are you what what is the vibe like if you can get a sense of it yeah it's um it's it's i feel like i and I know we've kind of discussed this before, like there's been this, this like assumption on people that will all make the right or smart decision. And we 
it seems like we continue to just like delay the inevitable of what we should be doing and in, in like in an immediate response. And LA is, you know, is typically quick to follow or like soon after SF, which team seems to be like leading the charge in terms of like what they're doing on their own. Um, but in regards to New York, yeah, I, I feel like right now everyone's like, oh, our numbers are increasing at, you know, a relatively exponential rate. And this is, was not foreseen, despite what the government says. Um, and because of that, and, and because of that, and because of like there are more available tests coming out, the numbers will just continue to increase and be way larger than we anticipated. So I, I could definitely see California, which is you know one of the largest states in the country, um, the numbers popping up. I mean, overnight, once they increased the amount of tests that were available in San Francisco, it went from 38 to 152 which go it's you know it's not like it's just it's just more or less crazy uh and i know that today i think it was trump uh is considering or will consider shutting down connecticut new jersey and new york at like collectively because those are the three that seem to be especially new york as like a hub of where it i mean new york is a is a huge travel center internationally for people coming in and so it makes sense that those numbers are, are increasing. LAX is the same way. So I wouldn't be surprised to your point that, that LA will also discover soon enough, once like, you know, enough people start getting tested, that the numbers will be much larger than we thought they would be. Yeah. And I have a bunch of friends in LA and um, a lot of people have been posting the, their new testing centers popping up, which is good, but I think as you're saying, the numbers are gonna, they're gonna spike pretty rapidly, I think. Yeah, and even then, like, the reality of the fact is like, okay, it's great that we have the testing center or like other available places to get tested, like as we, as we go on, but the people that can get tested are the people that are like showing extreme effects, which at that point, they're, they're at a place where they're in poor health. Right. Um, and some of the early signs have shown us that if we get the people who are asymptomatic or the people that are like showing early signs on and we treat them, they have a better chance of recovery. But unfortunately, there are other people who don't have access or, you know, availability to get to those places to get tested to confirm whether it's coronavirus or it's something else. Mm. And it's just like, uh, it's, I mean, we've, we've definitely, we've, we've been able to man the wave like through the healthcare system and, and hospitals right now, but like we're at a, a stressor where like a stressing point or breaking point where when this second, I think wave happens, it won't be, it won't be good, but also be like, we don't, the funding too, that came through the $2 trillion bill that was just passed is not enough. Like that's only $150 billion that's available for hospitals and other like medical resource centers. Like, you know, I don't want to make it sound bad, but like it is, it is kind of at that point where it's like, you know, I don't know how much without knowing exactly what the numbers are across the country. It's hard to say if that money will actually put a dent in, in, uh, or, or like be a preventative measure against what is currently kind of on the rise. Yeah. And from what I've seen, um, in LA, it looks like, hospitals are pretty close to their maximum. They're kind of like at their breaking point. 
and everyone is expecting, like I said, the cases to spike. And with testing, you might capture, we're probably not gonna capture the asymptomatic people. That just doesn't seem to be happening at all anywhere, which is ridiculous. But yeah, I think there are still, as the cases progress, you're gonna get a lot more actually sick people too. And it's gonna, it's gonna be a bit of a shit show, I think. Yeah, I think that uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be one of those things where, you know, where we feel like we're prepared, you know, uh, but we're not, right? And I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, it sounds so doom and gloom. Well, I mean, unfortunately, we've come to the point where every time before that, like I was kind of mentioned before, is like we continue to delay or assume the best in people, right? Like you give us, uh, a, you, you present a scenario to a person and say, hey, China, uh, other parts of Eastern uh, uh, Asia, as well as Italy and, and Europe are all showing an increase in cases and, and fatality and deaths um, due to coronavirus. We should take this seriously. And everyone's like, okay, okay, okay. But the numbers don't seem to be high, but that's also because we haven't been testing people, right? And so that's where like, oh, surprise, surprise, the numbers are actually gonna be larger. And every time that you know some news conference or briefing happens, it continues to be like, okay, well, social distance, keep six feet away. The amount of days is 14 to 15 days. You know, keep, keep yourself isolated in your own home or with an isolated cell of people that you interact with, like significant other, family, whatever. But then, you know, a couple of days later, news comes out again where it's like, oh, you know what? Okay, that recommendation we gave didn't work out. And like, we found ourselves to a point where now the mayor of LA is like, okay, there, it's gonna go on for two months of this type of lockdown shelter in place, but also there are going to be more cases and more deaths. Not that we want that, but it will present itself that way because when we say, don't go on trails, don't go to beaches, don't go to parks, whatever, you find that people resist that and say, mm, won't happen to me. Or, I mean, like, look at what, you know, spring break in Florida, that is the most insane thing I've ever seen. And now there are a bunch of kids who are showing uh, positive with coronavirus. So it's like people that they are people like that just that don't listen or like disregard as a won't happen to me, I'm gonna be fine, or well, there's no case now. Turns out that it actually makes it worse. And then you got governor, you know, Newsom who comes in and says, Okay, listen, like this is why we can't have nice things. You guys ruin it for everyone, and now we have to take it away. And I continue to be baffled at the fact that we just don't just shut it all down, right? Like if Trump shuts down three states right now, like why did he just add on the other 47 and say, let's rip the Band-Aid off now and do this because it seems to be the only way that'll prevent us from progressing into, well, I mean, we're already number one now. So I guess, you know, we already got that badge of honor. So it's just like, uh, it's, it's, uh, and it's like I said, it's kind of like baffling, but also I just find it like disappointing. I'm just like, just do it. Just, just, just go ahead, call what it is, and let's just hunker down for the next few weeks and, and allow our medical professionals and those who are at hospitals and testing centers and whatever have time to respond and actually treat those people, right? Um, those who are actually symptomatic and then possibly move back in the population to those who are potentially asymptomatic. Um, 
but we don't even have test kits. Though I did just read that um, LA is partnering with UPS to deliver test kits. And I think it was like 5,000 test kits right now or something like that. Um, there are about, there was the, the US naval ship that, that docked in to deliver beds, which is great to hear. Um, but it's also finding the, the physical place to hold, right? Like, where do we put them? I know there was talks, I don't know if I, I'd never followed up, but I know there were talks of having um, the LA Olympic Stadium as a potential testing center because it's so large and it's an unused space. Mm. Um, I don't know if they ever went forward with that, but I know that was at least a possibility of, of housing a large group of people. Interesting. Yeah, and from what I read, the at least one of the ships not only brought beds, but I think it's actually going to act as a floating hospital. Yeah, yeah. Which so, which is great to see, but it's just like, you know, it's, I feel like the responses that we've had so far are like, too little, you know, in many ways to at least prevent what's happening. And now it's more, it just, it continues to be this reactive thing. And you see it in other cities, you see it here in LA. Uh, and I don't know, it's kind of like, why, why is there a delay in the necessary response to actually take this thing seriously? I mean, I'm obviously now everyone's taking it seriously to an extent, but it just kind of, again baffles me at why why the necessary measures weren't taken in the first place you know and it costs us more money and a longer time and well if you um well i wanted to respond to a couple of things you said but uh, yeah yeah so i wondered you said you wondered why the other 47 states weren't just thrown in as a as a precautionary like let's just lock it all down and get ahead of it and the same thing's happening over here where I am in Pennsylvania is like they're going county by county, even though the, the Pennsylvania governor is pretty on point. I like the stuff that he was saying the other night, but he's still like, all right, well, these are the like Philadelphia County. Bucks County is right outside of Philadelphia. We're going to we're going to um, we're going to put some regulations on these counties, but everything else is fine. I'm just like, do the whole state, man. Like we need to shut this down. Yeah. But um Trump is talking about strategically sort of uh, relaxing guidelines in other states where there, there are fewer cases that aren't captured. And, but you're saying, like, why aren't they just locking it all down? I mean, if you look at those states, those are, yeah. those are his states, you know, and there, there's obviously a correlation. Yeah. yeah. So he doesn't want to put a damper on the economy yeah, it, for, for it, his I own. I look at it. I know. It's, it's also, it's like we're entering, we've got the Democratic primaries that are obviously, we're happening slash on hold now. There's that whole like uh, replace Biden with Cuomo kind of situation that's kind of like beginning movement, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, for Trump, it's, you know, it's a strategic move, I think, from a political way of thinking and not it's like react it's not holistic in any way is the way that i look at it right like holistic would be like okay we're going to shut everything down yes the economy will be at a standstill outside of these essential um destinations um facilities but he slow i think it's like he he slowly rolls it out and being like okay if i hold off on this one state or this one area where i know is going to you know benefit me politically later on I don't want to screw things up for them, but by doing so, 
it, it, it will extend and cause a, I think a, a ripple effect in a larger kind of pool as opposed to just being like, okay, let's just shut it down. Yeah, it sucks right now, but if we can handle it, then we're good. But if you do the slow rollout, then you still have people like I live off in Vermont and you know, it's a relatively busy street. And as soon as the shutdown and was an originally kind of set up by the LA mayor, it was relatively quiet, like first couple of days. Yesterday, there were cars up and down the street. And to my point, I'm like, I don't know where you guys are traveling. You know, you guys are only, maybe it's, maybe you're an essential kind of worker. Maybe you're a medical professional. Maybe you're going to a grocery store because you're on a job or whatever. But it's like outside of those people, like, I don't know where you guys are going. And without a national kind of like, shut it down, we are making this thing progress further because people are continuing to be like, well, I can't go to a beach or I can't go to a parking lot to, you know, I'm just still going to travel. And it's like, well, it's not good. Yeah. Yeah. People are, especially in LA, you don't have a lot of big picture people. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty self-involved. For... <laughs> yeah. You know, that's unfortunately, the stereotypical like, yeah. LA person. Right. But it, I mean, it's, it's definitely proven to be true in this scenario, right? Like you've got a community of people that say, for the utilitarian, for the greater good, if everyone stays home, we can fight this thing. Then those people say, well, I can travel on the highway pretty easily with no traffic. I can get to this place that won't be crowded with people. I'm going to take advantage of the situation. And I think of only myself and not of others, right? And then if you obviously multiply that or scale that out to a millions of people, you get a large enough group that warrants a governor to say, okay, no one can use the trails. No one can go to parks and beaches. These are all shut down. I'm even going to close parking lots because I don't want people gathering and, and more than a few people at a time. Um, so it's, yeah, I mean, like the stereotype is there of like, oh, I'm so, you know, self-involved or into myself, but it is kind of true in this scenario. It's like people just kind of disregard others or the well-being of a larger group, especially those who are like less capable or um, more susceptible or vulnerable, you know? Yeah. It's a shame. Um, so I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about mm-hmm. like your experience, like your, how you're being affected personally. You don't have to go into too much like detail about like personal life, but just like how you are being affected and like how your life has sort of changed and what your story is in this context. Yeah. So before all, you know, this stuff kind of went south, um, I, since, since moving to LA two years ago, I've been working from home. So a portion of this experience is not too uncommon for me, right? Like I stay home, I work from home, I go out to walk the dogs, I'll go out to lunch, um, kind of situation. Uh, but now obviously limiting those things, you know, I can still go to the grocery store, walk the dogs, you know, get a breath of fresh air. Um, but I'm not able to do the other kind of social activities, right? Which isn't too, it's not too bad for me. Um, because I think I've, I've definitely replaced that and also connected with, um, other friends over zoom and Google hangouts and like, you know, Slack groups and stuff like that, where, you know, some people I haven't talked to in quite a while or stay connected with. And if I look at the silver lining, like it has allowed me to, to, um, to strengthen or kind of redevelop 
those relationships with friends and, and loved ones and, and, and family members and stuff like that. Um, because I look at this and I'm like, this is a crazy social experiment we're in right now. And I don't know the next time a, a country or world will ever experience this kind of thing again. Um, and it's shifting the way that we behave as humans, right? Whether it's work, personal, anything between. Um, and I think for the better, for the most part, there's a couple stories I've heard that obviously aren't great in terms of the, you know, digitized experience that we've kind of shifted into. Um, but my experience personally hasn't been too bad. Like I said, like my life hasn't shifted too much. Um, it's more or less the same outside of some of those things. And yeah, I would say that I'm not too hampered by it. Obviously staying in your house for an extended period of time can be like mentally exhausting. And that's why I was mentioning earlier. How long have you been uh, quarantined? So when the announcement came out, what was that, the 10th, something like that early on, you know, we had, my my girlfriend uh, was working in Koreatown and they had, as news began to roll out early on, they were like, okay, next week is optional. Then they were like, okay, next week and going on is mandatory. Um, so we've more or less just been here. I've gone out obviously to, to walk the dogs and stuff like that. Um, or if I see another person, it's another person that I know is in a quarantine cell to be like, you haven't left your apartment and you haven't, you know, interact with other people. Great. I feel safe going out. If it's a stranger, not so much. Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes the grocery shopping experience kind of interesting. Like everyone is so like, you know, away and they def like if you're, I was in line the other day and this woman, I think I was within the six foot range. It might've been like seven feet. And she like looked at me and was like, and like shuffled over. Um, and I was like, Hey, good on you for taking this seriously. Um, uh, but I was also like, it's also really interesting to see like, the human behavior and reaction to like, Ugh, like kind of freak out, which is like, you know, fear can be good and can be bad. Um, I've been but, watching stuff on, on like Netflix and stuff and like people embracing on there. I'm like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, so, it's become so ingrained. I'm like, you can't, no, that's not safe. Don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would say like the other thing too, is I probably watch more TV like shows and movies now. Because you're like, okay, I'm in a, pl- I'm, you know, I'm in an isolated area and I can't do much more than read, play board games, play cards, meet with someone online or whatever. Um, which has been kind of nice because I've been able to catch up on shows that I'm like, I'll add that to the queue, to the wait list. I'll get back to it later. And then I find myself now being like, okay, let's break, let's just play it all. Let's just like watch everything and catch up to all the different types of content that's out there. Um, so that's, that's been kind of nice and not having to worry about that, but for me on a work side, so that's like personally on the work side, my company, which is based in SF or was based in SF and I was working remotely. Um, I, uh, discovered, I walked into a one-on-one with my manager and now this is like public knowledge, but I walked into a one-on-one with my manager, uh, and saw the head of HR and. I was like, oh, okay. Well, I, I sometimes see them, you know, they'll stop in a meeting and say hello and then leave. And then she continued to stay there longer. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Okay. And then they like begun or like began to start talking about, they're like, so as you know, the company didn't hit their revenue numbers. We were short by 6 million. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be let go. 
this happened in the middle of uh in uh, middle of february but half of our team of our company is located in china so it went from like there are some cases different places districts are shut down chinese new year and then all of this kind of like once that came out it was like oh actually this is much bigger than we anticipated and there have been some kind of murmurs here and there of like um true motivations or motives of the of the company making their layoffs and one of them being they anticipated some of this sick this like illness uh to have an effect on production you know demand stuff like that and so they were beginning to uh cut the fat where they saw it necessary to make sure that they recovered from the loss that they had the previous year i i mean obviously don't anticipate that they saw it as a huge global kind of scale that it became but um that was definitely one of the things that came into play for me professionally so like i was affected like an early wave of all of this that went through and then obviously like you know 3.2 million people apply for unemployment in the last week and a half um yeah and it's like uh you know causes the system to go down uh you can't get in touch with anyone and then like now they're they're trying to handle the traffic but um from a personal side just kind of like sum it up personal side like not too much is affected i can see obviously some benefit from it outside of like seeing like what the the cost is like mentally socially um and trying to play catch up on a on a distant scale and then professionally impacted on that um just by the company making kind of you know logistic or management level decisions to say we're losing money and this might cost us more money so we need to get ahead of it you know yeah that's that's interesting i'm sorry but i mean uh, it is yeah. what it is i think everyone yeah. is in the collective boat and yeah before there was always a stigma of like oh i got laid off i got fired I'm unemployed, right? Um, and if anything, that like stigma or that like negative kind of connotation for unemployment, yeah, it does suck, right? But I look at it and I say, well, you're not alone, right? You're with a group of people and you also share a commonality to the reason why you were let go. And in many ways, I see businesses, because I think the business owner, you know, unless they're a terrible kind of person, I see the business owner as a, as someone who understands or they somewhat empathizes, right? Because if they were just to say like, well, everyone stays on the, uh, on, let's say it's a um, hospitality, like a restaurant or something, right? Or, or a cafe or a coffee shop. And they say, well, I can keep you on, just can't pay you. Or I can fire you or lay you off because of this. And you're able to apply for unemployment, right? And so in my mind, I look at it and go like, those places at least empathize for the person that's in the situation because they're like, they can't control it, right? They can't keep it open. They can't make money. And if I don't, unfortunately, lay you off, then you won't see any benefit to getting unemployment insurance, right? So I kind of look at that and I say, it's, it does suck, but um, the people that were laid off obviously are, are getting something, myself included, you know? Um, and it also, like I said, I think it kind of breaks away from the like this 
the stigmatism from it and kind of says like, yeah, we're all in the same boat, you know, not only are we trying to fight this like illness and, and stay in disease and trying to stay safe, but we also have a collective kind of topic to be like, Oh, my company laid me off. Um, I've heard some terrible horror stories, but I also heard some other ones where it's like, you know, the manager has like, listen, I, you know, managers have like cried in front of their staff to say like, I can't pay you guys. There's no other way for me to do this, but at least this way you get something when there is nothing happening, you know? So I try to, I, I tend to try to find the silver lining in situations and that one I kind of interpret as that. Right. So. Yeah. Do you think that the, the wave of layoffs and the unemployment sort of adds to um, sort of gets people to take the whole thing more seriously, or do you think it just makes the situation worse? I think to an extent, right. There's always going to be bad actors that are in the mix, right? Someone says, Oh, well, I don't have a job that gives me more free time to go do stuff like go hang out with a group of people. Right. And so I think there'll always be people who are like, again, come back to this, like, if I get it, I get it. Doesn't matter. Right. Um, but I, I do see people who begin to look at the economic hardship that it, that it can bring and say, Oh, wow, this is something that originally was played down by the administration of the government to say like, oh, it's nothing serious. That's a China problem. That's a Italy problem. That's not an us problem. Well, it's not an us problem because we didn't have the numbers, right? We have the kids to test it and we're also kind of reluctant to test people uh, for political reasons. Um, but I think for some people, they're like, yeah, well, I'm screwed. I don't have a job and I've got bills and no one's freezing my rent right now. So I'm going to have to pay, like I have rent due, what is today? The 20, 28th. I've got rent due in two weeks and I like many others are in this boat of like, well, the governor just froze or just got um, five large banks to, to freeze mortgage payments. So any person who owns a property, home, business, apartment complex, whatever, they don't have to pay a mortgage for what I know, however long, I think it's 90 days or something like that, maybe longer, depending on how long this goes. But then what about the person that's below them, right? Like I see that as if people lose their job, they don't have the financial resources or means to pay for rent or they don't have the means to pay for groceries or essential items, right? During this time, um, especially with people like raiding the shelves and taking the items that are specifically designated for people who are on food stamps, you know, can't afford like that's, I don't think everyone kind of knows that, um, that aspect of it. And that, it's like, again, it's like a ripple effect through everyone and everything. And so, you know, I've got a car payment on my car. I've got rent, I've got food. Fortunately, I live with a significant other and, you know, it's not just one person paying for stuff, it's two. But I think, you know, how does a single mother with four kids or a parent or a family who lost both their jobs, right? And now they've got to not only find a way to make money, but they also have to tutor their kids and homeschool them during this time, which I think a lot of parents have begun to understand the, um, the complexities or the difficulty of, of trying to teach a child, right? And a much more of appreciation and respect for teachers now, which I've seen like kind of like on social media. Um, but I think, yeah, I, 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 at least I hope. The majority of people take it seriously by losing their main source of income but there will definitely be people who just like take it as like, well, 
whatever, right? Um, what was the um, the turning point for you personally, where you were like, "Ah, oh, this is this is a, ch- a flu in China," and then you were like, "Oh shit, this is this is a big deal." I think when the numbers, when Italy began to like rise up, right? Because um, it was, and I think whether it was because the news out of China was limited, because obviously there's a whole uh, history of China and different areas kind of limiting or hampering the news and journalists, you know. So it's like they're not going to make numbers seem so bad. But um, I think when Italy started to accelerate in their kind of cases and deaths, and then also looking at it and be like, well, how did this happen? Oh, you guys treated the young people who were here first, not the older people. So the older people were dying. And those are the people who are getting sick. And now it's the whole country. Like, I think when they started to shut down certain cities, I was like, yeah, this is getting pretty serious. Then they're like, okay, now it's more cities. Now it's the whole country. I'm like, okay, this is, this is really hard because you've got, you've got people that were traveling outside of this country and you look at it. uh, I mean, any, any movie like, you know, outbreak or contagion, you know, um, or anything else where it shows like, here's the worst case scenario. If we don't address this in three days, seven days, one month, right? And you see like the virus, like it's like, this is what happens when the zombie kind of virus spreads. Well, it's when you look at that and you say, well, this flight or these flights host this many different countries coming in as a hub and this many people per flight. And those many people had layovers or interact with other family members who then traveled or business or whatever. You begin to imagine the scale at which you can go from a small area of Wuhan, China to over 7 billion people, right? And it happens very quickly, especially if you, you just pass by, cough, breathe, talk, whatever, you know, and it lives on something, um, you touch it, whatever it might be, and you have no idea initially, right? And especially because the news was like, oh, not a problem. This happens. It's always out of that, it's always out of that, that market too, which I don't know how that keeps happening but um but yeah i uh i think that was the point it was around when 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 italy first started getting reports and i was like oh this is this is becoming a much larger thing um especially because italy is a huge destination point rome vienna um you know uh Chiquitera, which is small and, and that's the other thing too is i can only imagine how how smaller regions that are are unable to receive like first responder care will will be able to kind of recover right you know like you can only get in through train or you can only get in through like a small little road it's not like a main hub or a city where you've got um it's considered kind of like a a a high traffic area um yeah are you are you glad that you're in la as opposed to somewhere more rural or anywhere else in the country or another place? Yeah, I would definitely say that I'm, I'm grateful and fortunate to be in LA. Um, like I said before, I don't think that the response has been kind of as necessary, like as immediate as it should have been, but I am fortunate to live in a, in a more developed city, right? In a more kind of hub. Um, the downside is that, you know, LAX is not too far away and that's another international hotspot where people are coming in. Um, you know, I know in some areas, like it was like Topeka, Kansas had no cases 
um, I don't know if that's still the case, but they had no cases recently. And like, you know, it's like, oh, well, I've been there once. It's a relative low key town. You know, maybe living in an area like that would be, would be nice. My accessibility to Wichita, Kansas or Kansas City, you know, it's only a couple hours away or whatever. And I'd be able to get the care I needed. Um, so I could see like a, 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 like a benefit and a cost on either end. But I am happy to be living in LA only because if I need treatment or I need to be seen or something happens, like I live in close proximity to a hospital. Um, I, uh, I feel like the means of treating can be there. Now the question is like how long it would take to get seen, right? How long it would take to get treated and recover depending on what stage I am. And you know, if I get sick, hopefully I don't. Um, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I kind of was at odds for a whole day cause I wanted to leave but I, right. I thought I had missed my window. And I mean, I hadn't, I feel like th- I should have, they should have shut mm-hmm. things down way back then. But, um, yeah. and I almost cried, honestly, I was just like, I need to get out of here. I don't want to go to LAX and I don't want to sit in the car for three days. Like what the hell am I yeah. going to do? Like my family is on the East coast. And so eventually I was like, all right, well, I guess the smart thing is just to, to encounter fewer people. If I go to LAX, I'm going to be exposed to thousands of people immediately. If I drive, yeah. it's going to be maybe a dozen the whole time. And it right. sucks, but that was the choice I made. And I'm happy, I'm happy to be here. There are no people, you know, there is a hospital down the road. Um, and you know, I got, I, I haven't left the house in probably two weeks. Yeah. And, that, and that's good. I mean, like I can only imagine what would happen if you had, you know, gone to LAX and taken that flight, um, because yeah, you know, one person takes to just like, you know, breathing the direction. Uh, I think despite it being an older movie, uh, and I haven't seen it for a minute, but I, I remember watching it in health class, my freshman year, like back in 2003, we watched outbreak and we were talking about like contagions and spreading of viruses and stuff like that. And there's one scene that always sticks out to me and it's the theater scene. And it's where like the boyfriend comes in with the girlfriend, he coughs, he's like, oh, I'm just sick, whatever, he coughs. And then you follow like the particles as they just like spread in the theater, right? Everyone's watching the movie and the trailers and it just like takes one cough to like land on someone's, you know, mouth, face, popcorn, whatever it is. And then now you've gone from one person to a theater of over a hundred people. And those a hundred people, it's kind of like, the negative of pay it forward, right? Like you, you give it to three people, those three people give it to their own three people and it continues on and on and on. Um, almost like a, you know, multi-level marketing kind of scam. Um, but that, in that movie, that visual, I was like, oh, that visual probably did it the best that I've seen is like, you may not think of anything of coughing or breathing, but like the particles are, that come out, then land somewhere and something typically interacts with it. And then that continues to spread and you may never know. And so like going to LAX thinking like, okay, cool. Like I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then you get home and then now to an area that no one really is around outside of your family. Now you put your family at risk. Right. And you would have possibly not known that before, but then you're like, Oh, you're, you know, patient zero in your cell. Right. And, uh, I kind of looked at imagine how many other, I, I saw myself as the problem in the situation. I was like, I'm coming yeah. from LA. It's a hot spot. I am. I do feel a little bit sick. Like I'm the mm-hmm. problem here. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't want to go to LAX for both reasons. 
Right. I want to encounter nobody basically. And that's what I yeah. tried to do. I know, I know some people that have gone home and, you know, they've been fortunate to like have like a, a lofted space, like a lofted room or somewhere in the garage or in the basement or like in a side house or something. I know some people that when they've come back, they were like, uh, I just leave the food out the door. I'm going to stay in this area for two weeks. If I don't show any symptoms, I'm good. Then I'll come out and interact with the family and like reintegrate myself with everyone else. But until then, I feel very uncomfortable doing that, especially because the whole family's here and I've got two elderly uh, grandparents and this and that. So I, I definitely know other people who are in the same situation. Um, definitely fortunate to have like more space to, to isolate themselves. But went that approach too, where they're like, I feel bad, but I want to be here just in case. But I also need to distance myself at a relatively you know, shorter scale. Yeah, well, at least there are some people taking this seriously, <laughs> right, looking out for exactly. others. Um, and it is nice. I'll try to uh, wrap it up a little bit, but Garcetti seems to be doing better at um, kind of uh, directing people and, and not going along with what the president is saying. He's like, we're, we're two months no matter what at, from this point on, right? Yeah, so I think... Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you look at Trump, right? Trump, again, it comes back to political reasons. You look at what his base is, his base tends to be, you know, he's got evangelicals, you got other religious groups, Christians and things like that, that are like, oh, what's the biggest holiday that's coming up? Easter. Great. Okay. Easter's a time where you spend, you know, you, you know, kind of like coincidentally, it's the it's Christ coming back from the dead. Um, and he's looking at it as like, oh, there's an opportunity to be my own savior, uh, you know, very egotistical. I can save the country. I can bring it back from the dead. Um, and I can make sure that this holiday that is very important to a, 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 a voter base of mine um, sees this as a win, right? They'll always remember that Easter where they're able to spend time with their family. And that narrative is very dangerous because it's, it's taking on, it's, it's ignoring the health and the well-being of a, of a greater population for a political gain. And I think that's where a lot of people don't see what's going on. He's like, you know, he's got the highest approval rating right now he's ever had because people look at him and he's declared himself a wartime president and people see him as like, oh, he saved the economy and passed his bill and all this stuff. And it's just like a crazy narrative and it's dangerous for, for, that, for that reason specifically. And I think LA on top of SF, um, SF specifically, are, they seem to be the ones that are like taking the moves before any other city and they're doing it independently they're like you know we're gonna freeze rent in oakland we're going to shut down subway transportation that was just a few days ago we're going to shut the city down we're going to um limit you know this accessibility to these places change the hours do this shut down this stuff um la you know not not too long after to follow and i think the mayor is doing a good job his tone is definitely more serious but i think that's because everyone hasn't been taking it seriously and everyone is very like, oh, it's so, you know, doom and gloom. But I think we've unfortunately gotten ourselves in a position where we have to take it seriously. And it's like, if you keep saying the same thing over and over again, then no one will. And I'm, I'm kind of thankful that he is. Right. Uh, we were talking briefly yesterday about how I've got some feedback that was like, I'm being too negative, which I, I went back right. and like looked at and I, I didn't fully understand what they're talking about. But I mean, I feel like I'm just being real and presenting 
facts and a lot of them are not great you know it's yeah. it's scary but uh and you said you could relate to that yeah and i so my experience with that is like you know i've been in in threads uh or like chats with other people you know since this has started and people have been like oh i don't want to I don't want to talk about it. Right. Uh, it makes me anxious, which I, you know, I get like, it's a very serious topic and I'm glad that it's affecting you emotionally that you're like, I, I'm overwhelmed. Right. I feel sad or I feel bad or I feel anxious or whatever it is. I feel afraid. And that's good. Right. Because if we didn't, then we would still be out and about, you know, playing catch with random people or whatever it is. Um, and I, and I, I get people that are like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about this or like, don't, don't text me this at, after a certain time or um, I'm watching the news too when I can't, I can't take it. But it's not like the news that I'm giving is, or I'm discussing or bringing up is anything that's like, you know, um, I'm not being like facetious. I'm not being negative with the news. It's just being real, right? Yeah, you're and not being alarmist. Right now, I'm not being like, oh, everyone, you know, like, you know, the sky is falling, but it, it kind of is falling, right? Like things are happening that are bad. I'm not playing chicken little and I, I think neither are you. And I, I see it as it's like, it's better to be educated on what is happening because there's a ton of false information that's going on right now, right? Oh, hey, you should take this malaria drug, right? That's a, that was one that kind of bent me the wrong way in terms of, what Trump is saying is like, oh, it's going to work. It's going to work. I think it's got a great chance. It's going to work. Right. It's like, okay, well, who benefits in this? Right. Um, politicians who have access. I mean, the whole like trading and selling of stock is just totally egregious, but um, it was like, use this malaria drug. It'll work. It'll work. Making these cocktails of drugs that people are like recommending are very dangerous because on their own, they've been used, but in a combination, they haven't been done in terms of a clinical trial. And so when people are like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want you to talk about it. I don't want to hear the news. It's like, well, if I don't say it, then someone else is going to say something that, that makes you feel better. Like, hey, there's a cure and it's called this plus this. And as a result, people then go to their doctor and say, hey, uh, I want you to extend compassion on me and, and prescribe me these drugs, right? Well, it turns out that the malaria jug plus the antibiotic, right, that combination together, there was a 30-person study done in China. A few of them, um, you know, got diarrhea, started getting liver problems. One guy, his disease worsened, right? And the conclusive evidence was shown to say using this drug does not, uh, is not statistically significant to show that it performs better than just the current coronavirus care. And so I think that when people look at it and say, you're just being too real or this is too negative or whatever, I think it's people kind of not wanting to accept the truth of the situation. Right. And I get that it might be, it might sound terrible and bad because, you know, it is, right? Like we got to be real on the situation. And it's for that very reason that people didn't take it seriously to begin with. And now we're here right now. And we're playing catch up and we're stressing the healthcare system and people on the streets and other areas that who are unhoused are getting, uh, getting infected, dying elderly. Like it's a, it's a problem that 
will only worsen if we don't kind of talk about it. And especially when you have no one that's willing to make the president or the administration accountable or fact check, right? Um, because, you know, I saw it was like Seattle's NPR decided that they were going to not broadcast any of those anymore. And they were going to report on what they found the truth to be because every press conference was another lie, another exaggeration of the truth, uh, another part of them giving a reason why they didn't have enough kits available or why they didn't have enough masks available or, uh, or, or whatever it may be. And um, it's for that reason that I don't, I look at it, I'm like, no, it's better to be truthful and it's better to be honest and, and know what's going on instead of getting some like viral email chain, no pun intended, of like someone telling you to go to your doctor or to go get prescribed this or to, you know, saying that something else is the cure or saying that, um, that, oh, it actually costs from this. And it's like that whole narrative is, is dangerous from, yeah. from a health standpoint to a psychological standpoint, you know, and, and it's just like, I don't know. It makes me kind of sad in terms of like how it's all being dealt with. But I don't find it alarmist. I don't find it being negative. I see it as being like, here's this really messed up situation we're in, and we're in it because no one else wanted to take it seriously. No one else wanted to talk about it. No one else thought that it was going to be a situation, and then it was. And so now here we are, and we've got people that are like LA mayor who's like, yeah, people are going to die. People are going to get sick. It's going to be worse than we thought. We're going to lock down for two months. That's the best, like, that's the best case scenario we have right now. And then Gavin Newsom is like, yeah, eight weeks. The numbers are going to be bad. We have, a, we have a bed shortage. And until I see further data that indicates things are going on the up, like I have to make this decision for my Californians. You know, Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. And I'm, believe me, I'm happy to talk about like positive yeah. stuff. Like if I was following that hydrochloroquine azithromycin, at first I was just like, how's an antibiotic going to work for a virus? Like that was my initial question. Like, yeah. how does this even work? But right. like, if it worked, great. You know, right. like I'm yeah. all for it. And I like, I know that uh, Daniel Kim, you know, like the star from Lost, he had that cocktail of drugs from his, his doctor. And he went on and was like, oh, if I get this plus this, it fights off the, 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 like, the upper respiratory lung infection. That's what the antibiotics for. I was like, okay, I guess, all right. And he said he was feeling much better. Now, he didn't really show signs early on. It was very light, and he got treated early. So it's hard to say, right? Like, did the drug help or did the fact that he got treatment help, the fact that he had accessible, like, he's rich and he has accessibility to a better medical options. Maybe, I don't know. Everyone's different, right? And everyone's bodies and chemistry yeah. react differently. And so it's like hard to say and, and, and kind of uh, map it to a mass model of people and say, this is the cure. Like there was somebody, somebody shared a tweet the other day from a doctor on Sean Hannity who gave the specific cocktail of how many milligrams per each drug should be given. And I was like, that type of information and spreading that kind of stuff, like whether it turns out to be true in the long run after the FDA and the CDC have run clinical trials, fine. But telling a millions of people, especially millions of people who, you know, are similar to the couple that took the 
the fish tank cleaning solution because they found the active ingredient, right? They were like, we're so afraid, we're so afraid, but Trump's been telling us this is going to be the cure. And we read it and it sounded the same and we took it. And then now she unfortunately is a widow, right? And she's sick and she's in treatment. But Sean Hannity had a guy in there that was like, oh yeah, this is the treatment that I've been doing in New York. I would hate to see the, the, the side effects of that being like, oh, the people that initially showed to recover are now showing symptoms of something else, right? Yeah. And so I'm just like, we just have to be careful about the type of stuff that we're sharing right now. And yeah. I unfortunately feel like the administration obviously isn't doing a good job of it um, for a lot of reasons. And I think it, it, it does, unfortunately, like the weight bears on a lot of us to be like, what's actually happening? What is the truth of the matter? And I don't want to sugarcoat it, right? Like, I would rather someone be blunt and honest with me and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is how it's all falling kind of down by the side. Uh, then saying like, oh, well, you know, if you just do this or like keep a distance, like there's more that, that's at play here. Um, and I think everyone obviously is trying to trying to find the best way to kind of deal with it. But I feel like it's also like desensitizing certain people to be like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to think about it, um, which is potentially causing more harm. So. It's their choice, but, uh, but I, I agree with you. Um, all right, Gabe, Saturday afternoon, what would you be doing if you weren't in quarantine? Oh, um, I would probably be out, um, I don't know, I mean, like maybe at the park walking, like playing with the dogs, maybe doing something with a girlfriend. Or I, the probably more likely of the scenarios would be, I would be like be on set somewhere. I'd be filming some short film or I'd be filming a sketch with my, uh, my group um, or doing something film related. Um, those typically be my, my weekends, like Saturday or Sunday would be like, all right, I'm on set for a few hours or, um, you know, it's a, it's a couple days, something like this. Um, but unfortunately, you know, I can't do that now. You know, that's requires a full crew. And uh, I don't want to, despite the fact that I'm, I still see stuff in LA where it's like, Hey, we're casting this thing, come into audition. It's shooting next week. And I'm like, is, how is this? What are you guys doing? Yeah. Thumbs down um, to that as much yeah. as I want to be doing that right now. Right. Not the time. So yeah, probably acting or just like hanging out uh, with my girlfriend and the dogs. Great. Well, I hope that you can get back to that very yeah. soon. Um, what good do you think is going to come of this situation? Um, I, so I see, like I was saying earlier, like the silver linings, I see it. So outside of being an actor, like uh, my background is also in, um, uh, product design and just design in general. And so there's a, there's a bit of understanding like human psychology and behavior and like, um, how people interact with certain products. And I look at this and I say, we are isolated within our homes, right? Very limited interaction with the outside world. Um, it's like, I think because of the limited interaction that we have with normal people, when we do see someone, at least in my experience so far, and I've heard a couple people that say, like, they walked outside for a walk. And typically someone will be like on their phone or something, but now like they walked by and they got a wave and a hello, right? Which is different than someone's normal experience, which I think is awesome, right? It's great. Um, which is like people, people looking at it and they're, 
uh, more grateful maybe, or, you know, um, of the opportunity to like see someone and like say hello at a distance, six feet, you know, whatever, but, um, still being able to like interact with someone. I see, like I mentioned earlier, there's been a growing development of connective kind of interactions online. Right. Um, I've had a ton of, uh, in my experience working and I've had a ton of like virtual conferences, you know, over zoom or group hangouts or whatever it is. Um, and this moment in time takes me back to like Skyping with friends internationally who were studying abroad or whatever. And I look at it and I like, you know, I've had some, I've got another call later tonight. It's kind of like a happy hour with friends that are like all over the country. We had a birthday party last night on, on zoom. Um, earlier this week, we had a chat with another group of friends. So it's, um, Oh, I'm going to wait for the siren. I hear it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I look at that and I'm like, this is, this is cool. This is like, you know, I, I, I hope that this type of connected, um, I don't even know how you would call it, but like this connected like type of interactive or like interaction between people continues beyond this. Right. If it's on a digital, you know, maybe it's like still reaching out to someone via text or call or whatever, um, or FaceTime. Um, the other thing I'm looking at is from a, from a technology standpoint, I've seen, you know, there's an increase in adoption in mobile payments, right? Using credit cards, things like that. Uh, because the fibers of, of bills have the potential to carry the, the virus on them themselves. So people like use Venmo, use Square Cash, use this, like pay this way, which is, pretty interesting to see. And it's also like, I've seen the adoption kind of go up. Um, uh, businesses who didn't offer delivery before are now offering delivery, right? Like, I know that's a little thing, but you know, if you've got your favorite restaurant and you always had to go in and drive 30 minutes or 45 minutes to get there, you now can experience from your home. But I look at it and say, oh, the, the adoption of people using the service, but also the adoption of businesses using those services, you know, Grubhub, Seamless, um, Yelp, all of those things, I think is, is a, is a, is a good thing. But I think one of the biggest things that's going to happen and I hopefully will stay is the understanding that in the, the modern day workplace, people don't have to physically be in their chair and at their desk to get a job done and equal productivity, right? Input of sitting in chair does not necessarily equal output of a good job. However, we found ourselves because it's a very outdated kind of model. We believe that if you show up to work and you're there from nine to five, you take your hour break in the middle of the day, you have a little like water cooler chat or whatever, the perception or the idea that you're physically at your desk is one that that person's doing a great job, right? However, I have fortunately been able to experience this from work from home. It's like, I can do, I can go about my day. I can do my things. I can go to the doctor, run an errand, go to the grocery store, whatever, and still get work done. It just doesn't necessarily have to be eight straight hours or four and, you know, three or four hours after that. It can be my morning's free. So I'll work a little bit. My afternoon's a little busy. So I'm going to go do this. And then later tonight I'll put on Netflix and I'll work a little bit and I'm able to finish out what the rest of my work is for the next morning, right? And I look at this and I hope that businesses begin to adapt this model and say, hey, we did this social experiment for two plus months. 
and the company didn't shut down, we actually are able to be more productive. Uh, people are happier. Uh, there's a greater understanding of work-life balance, right? Overhead's and probably lower it, too. Exactly, right? You don't, I mean, my girlfriend was just telling me about a friend of ours who worked at a company in LA and they're like, oh, our space is getting expensive. This whole thing that happened kind of right before it. Then as they were uh, trying to figure out cost, they said, well, because of this whole thing, everyone works from home. And then they realized that the company will now be completely 100% remote going forward because they're like, well, we can save money on an office space. No one really needs to be in there. We can continue to have meetings virtually. If we need to interact in person in the future, we definitely can if it's an offsite or something like that. But at the end of the day, like we can get our job done from a cafe, our home, a, a shared workspace, whatever it might be. But I, I look at that and I say the, the work model that was once in place, hopefully will be broken down to prove that you don't need to do what we thought you did to get the job done, right? And it kind of, it breaks that mentality of like, well, as long as people see me here, then I'm doing my job, right? You know, um, it's like you get the work done, you get the work done and you're able to go about your day and do the rest of the things that are happen like good for you. You want to spend more time with your family, your kids, whatever. You want to work after they go to bed, totally. But you're able to balance that to be happier, whether it's going on a hike, going to work out, hanging out with friends during the day, you know, whatever it might be. So I think across the board, there's a lot of changes that are happening, both human psychology, behavior, technology, um, I think for the better. And I hope that they stay. I also, you know, it's the unfortunate circumstance that people have to relearn to be hygienically like clean, right? I got to learn to wash my hands again, or I got to count the ABCs to 20 seconds or whatever it might be. Um, and it's like, as adults, it's crazy that we have to relearn this. And I think over the next year, for however long the next few months is like develop or like continues, but over at least the next year, I see people taking it a little bit more seriously in terms of like being clean, washing their hands, sanitizing, you know, not making sure to touch something more conscious about touching your face, whatever. Um, I hope that that will, that will continue knowing humans, once things begin to get back to normal and they say, eh, you know, I'm not sick or whatever that might change. But I'm hoping that people continue to learn how to wash their hands or continue to do that. But I see, I see the other things as, as, as positives. Um, like I said, I try to see the silver lining beyond like all of the bad that's happening and the serious talk that, we're, that we have is understanding like, okay, where are things better? Like, am I happier because I work from home and I spend time with my family and whatever? I'm able to do my things as I want. I'm able to chat with someone online or connect or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, and I hope that it, it does get better and I hope that it continues and I hope that um, we're able to, to better the lives of the people that have been affected. Um, I know that financially we're not doing a great job in terms of the stimulus package, but I think beyond that, I'm hoping that this also does um, continue, you know, develop, grow. We adapt as a society to take these things in um, that were once like, a, oh, we don't do that or we didn't do that or we didn't think about that or that wasn't the, the way that we did, you know, 
certain processes or you know procedures but now because of this experiment for the last you know what will be potentially two three months we say yeah life goes on and we can continue to do what we were doing but we just adapted the model a little bit yeah good answer um opposite question what do you fear most happening uh well i fear that people like it's kind of like last point about the cleaning i fear that people will think everything's okay after a certain amount of time and then go back to their old ways um i mean i was at griffith park the other day walking through with the dogs and i saw a guy use the restroom and then he walked out and then he pulled out his phone and then he just continued walking in the hand wash the the sink and the soap are around the corner and i was like really you just went in there and you went to the bathroom. I don't know what you touched. You definitely touched the door. Uh, now someone else is going to touch that. Hopefully they wash their hands. So it's like, even in this scenario of like, man, this is all screwed up and we should be doing better. There's still people, there's still bad actors out there, right? That don't care. And it's like this one guy was, you know, look like he was 40. Another guy that was there looked like he was 60. I was like, dude, you both are, no one is safe. I don't know why you guys are not taking this seriously, but to them, they didn't do it. So, I think that for at least a year, people take it, people look at it and they say, yeah, we got to do this. We got to do this. And then as time goes on, people might kind of fade in, yeah. in their regimen. I also fear that another situation that will go bad is we have a second wave or we have a second wave that wasn't anticipated because we didn't accurately treat the first wave, right? So right now in LA, we're at a max and we're trying to get in as many resources as possible. California, Washington, New York have all been designated as disaster regions and we're getting the help from FEMA and the National Guard and stuff like that. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's, uh, it's like once the tests become available and more people begin starting getting tested, then the numbers will increase. Again, we're already number one. Uh, Italy just surpassed China in the amount of cases and we've gone well beyond Italy. So, um, and we haven't even tested everyone because we're not, again, not tasting asymptomatic people. We're only testing people who show signs. So it's like the numbers will, will show up to be worse. I also fear that because of that, the length of time that we'll be in quarantine will be longer, right? It's at least two months until the data proves otherwise and might be longer. I mean, they, Newsom and, um, and Garcetti were both like, don't set your hopes up too high because we might be going on beyond three months or two months. Um, and then I have this fear as well from an economic standpoint is that depending on how long this goes on, you see an effect globally, right? China before I was just reading about how China might see 10 plus percent um, negative growth because the people that would normally the vendors that had agreed to purchase inventory or supplies or, or, or components, whatever it might be, are no longer able to get that because we're not one, we're not accepting certain things in two, there's no one to sell it to three business aren't open. So they don't have those. So it's like, it started in China and had an impact on the U.S. to say uh, they weren't making stuff, but now China is going back into production, and now the U.S. and other parts of the world are like, well, we can't, ex we're we're not accepting stuff. So it's like I see it 
it, it going on further than some people are like, oh, in a month, it'll get back to normalish. And I'm like, I don't know what you're smoking, but that is not the case, both from a health standpoint to an economic standpoint, that won't happen. It's going to take a while. The economy is going to take a while to, to stabilize. I also fear that the, one of the worst things I fear are the people that can't afford, like they don't have the income or they don't have the means through unemployment to pay the rent, stay in their house, apartment, whatever it might be. And because of that, you'll have people who, who can't pay, right? They, they, they look at it and they say, well, this money, time value money right now is more valuable to me to buy essential items and goods. I can't pay rent. I'm going to get charged fees or, or late or, you know, uh, interest or whatever it might be, um, on, on my living situation. You know, uh, I, I hopefully doubt that landlords will evict people, but I have no idea. There hasn't been quite a freeze on that either in the state of California. I knew other areas are. And I thought staying. there was an eviction ban. I could be wrong. I have that written down though. That was, I think that's LA specifically, or is that oh, okay. the whole state of California? I'm not, I'm not too sure on that one. I just it know that LA, yeah. you can only prove up to us. You may not be able to evict. And then there's a whole, like, if you can prove that you were financially um, impacted from COVID-19, but that's only a certain amount of days, right? Boston, I think is, you know, a couple months, three months, something like that. Uh, Sacramento or LA was like 30 days. So it's like, I don't know how it's going to, how it's going to change. But I see again, people arriving too late to the conclusion that we have to make more drastic measures on an economic scale. Um, and people will, will have to decide what's more important where I live or, or what I eat. Right. And that's a very dangerous thing. And I could see that as, um, as things getting very tough, right? I can also see like, you know, not to say a, a movement or a revolution, but I could see, you know, if you get a majority of people saying, no, I won't move out. Well, there's only so many police and county sheriffs that will evict people, right? Like, I'm hoping it doesn't come to that. I'm hoping that the city, the state, the country comes to a conclusion if they can stop and suspend mortgage payments that they can do the same for people who are paying rent. So I think it's only fair that way. Um, but I, I just, my, my concern there is it takes longer than we than anticipated. Because um, if you look at other countries and they're already doing that, right? They're paying more money. They're freezing payments. They're doing more for the good of the citizen than the U.S. is. And I think the U.S., late to the game, late to respond, didn't take it seriously, finally being reactive in how we respond, and we're not doing enough, right? Not, not putting people first. Yeah. Right, exactly. It's like, you know, again, it's, a, it's an election year, and that should not be the, the focus of, the, of what the motivation is here, is they should be like, people first. If you focus on people, then your political situation will benefit, not to make it about that. But if you focus on how do I profit here politically or with my numbers, then you're going to lose a lot of people and it's going to be worse than, than right. if we did it. It's going to be obvious that that's what you're doing and it's just, it's grotesque. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Ex exactly. And it's disgusting. And like, 
uh, I just, this is another negative. Now, despite the fact that we're all going digital and we're having conversation via Zoom and connecting that way, I just found out, I, I don't know if I shared it with you, but Bird, the scooter company? Uh, no, you didn't share that. Okay. So they, um, they just laid off yesterday or two days ago, yesterday, 400 people, right? So it's like a third of their, um, their workforce. And, you know, makes sense, right? No one's riding scooters. They're not making money. They can't pay the people. That's just, that's business that's being impacted by this, the COVID-19. The way that they went about it is the real, really screwed up thing is obviously the only way that you could have the conversation was online. So they had a Zoom call with all these different people. The kicker is that not everyone was on the call. So some people had to find out about the layoff via text when they were like getting shut out of their accounts. Wow. The double kicker is it was a pre-recorded message. <laughs> oh, no. That's so t- these people showed up and then like, you know, then it's become this whole like this like PR game. The CTO came in and was like, oh, it wasn't pre-recorded. The person was on the edge of tears and blah, 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 and this and this. And someone else was like, I was on the call. It was robotic. It was pre-recorded. There was no, you know, it was, it was insane. So I was like, those are moments when I look at like, man, I get that we're in a, in a, in a bind right now, but understand the situation people are in. Don't be cold and jaded and say, well, got to keep, keep the lights on. And in order to keep the lights on, we got to fire these people. But you know what? Let's make it efficient, as efficient as possible. And we'll do it via recording. We'll play that thing. And then we're good to go. And that gets leaked. And now everyone is, uh, is telling their side of the story. And it's like, that's what happens when people just like don't put people first, you know, and understand and empathize. It's- there's a good, this is a good time for compassion right now. Yeah, exactly. It goes it's like, and let's, let's let the people know in LA, we have scooter options. Yes. We have other things. You also can just walk. You can take a city bike if you want, you know, it doesn't have to be all scooters. But I, I look at that and I'm like, that is, that's probably one of the worst things I've heard so far in all of this is like, you know, it's just, deciding that one thing is more important than people you know putting basically like profit over people and yep we're all in the same situation we understand that businesses are closing and they're and they're you know hemorrhaging cash because nobody's buying that product but you have to understand where that other person that you're about to impact or affect is coming from because it's like if the tables are turned would you want the same done to you probably not now, maybe you might be in a better position because you're like a CEO or a CTO, but still, you at one point were probably like this person, maybe. Yeah. Well, so I went to school for public health, and I can say definitively that the biggest obstacle to health is, is money and profit. Mm-hmm. Like, hands down, people choose money over, over health or other people. Almost yeah. always in this country. It's crazy. I mean, look at what's happening with the ventilator situation, right? Trump says, oh, you know what? Um, governors, figure it out, right? Like you're able to find a way to, to get those machines for 
the hospitals and for the clinics or wherever you, wherever you need them. And the manufacturers are like, yo, we're ready. Like we can ramp up production. We can get this thing going. We just need an order from the government. And then the government says, okay, now we're going to be partnering with private companies on upping the production of masks, ventilators, other machines, stuff like that. And then I just saw yesterday, two days ago, they were like, oh, the cost of these machines is way greater than we thought. So we're going to go back on that deal. And it's like, again, I, I, if you anticipate this to be a costly endeavor and it's, it's a, a benefit to treating. Now, obviously, putting someone on a ventilator has uh, a myriad of side effects, right? Vocal cord uh, straining, physical therapy, uh, muscle atrophy by keeping someone in a state. Um, there's a lot of things that can happen. And it's not like it should be the last resort, unfortunately, because you don't want to then have the cost of all of those hospital bills after you get out, right? Which is, again, our healthcare system is totally ass backwards. Um, and so it's like if you anticipated what the cost was going to be or how expensive it was, I mean, you had to have some idea when you were discussing with those, those companies to say, like, if you make this much, how much will it cost? And then you go back to Congress and the Senate and say, this is how much it's going to cost. Please build this in to the package so that we can make sure that we have enough supplies and resources to treat this because we project the numbers to be so high and this many people need to be treated. It just, I don't know, it seems common sense. But unfortunately, I feel like we are run under a group of people that don't put people first, react to problems, ignore them, and also have the, I think the, the banner statement across this whole thing is when Trump says, you know, I don't take responsibility at all. It's not my fault. And that's the worst thing you can say. And very much a like, you know, very privileged kind of thing to be like, not my problem. I didn't do it. It's all from China, which is like, that's a terrible narrative as well. Yeah. But, no one's blaming him for the virus. It's just the, yeah. everything I mean, else. There's a, there's a video online and I can send it to you, but there's a video online of the timeline of events of how he was like, people would ask about the virus since the beginning of January. Oh, I saw this. Yeah. Yeah. And the narrative was like, Oh, it's not a big deal. Uh, It's not our problem. It's not over here. We've got no numbers, zero, the greatest. Right. And then as time goes on, the cases begin to increase and increase. Then you have deaths that also come up and like the, it's like not a problem, not a problem, not a problem, not a problem. And then, you know, it was like a week and a half ago, two weeks, a week and a half ago, he has a press conference where he says, I've always known it was a pandemic. I always knew this was going to be serious. A global pandemic. Like he's good at this stuff. Right. He's good (laughs) at this stuff. Right. And then he also says, uh, the other thing is like, there was a moment when I was like, man, the gall of you to say this right now, he goes, he looks around for like acknowledgement to the group. It was like Pence and Dr. Briggs and all that stuff. And he goes, I think we knew that this was always the plan forward. Right. And everyone else is like, I mean, what are you gonna say? No. Yeah. The only person that's like honest is Dr. Fauci. That guy gives like zero fucks. He just yeah. says what he wants. And because I mean, like he's in a very unique position where he, has to say the truth, right? If he doesn't, people's lives are at stake. And you don't fire a doctor 
who's handling this either. So he's like in a very unique position. I think he's also the, he's paid over $500,000 a year. Like he's the highest paid person in government. And I think rightfully so, right? He's handled previous epi- or like epidemics and pandemics. And he know, he's the only person that knows how to handle it really in his experience. He's an important guy. Yeah. Right. And so that's someone that you just can't like fire because that definitely will, will send ripples throughout um, the confidence of, of people, the market, citizens, whatever. So I think he's in a very unique position where he's been, he's had to do fact checking in interviews and he was like, yeah, that was never the thing. I don't know why they said that. That was never the case. Like, and I'm, I'm grateful for someone in this administration who can do that. They've obviously limited his um, public communication now, but at the same time, when he does talk, he's just like, I'm not getting anyone's hopes up. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. We're treating it. We're trying to do it as quickly as possible, but you know, this is, he's, this he's, is what's happening. He's using evidence and he's the only one. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I appreciate the evidence-based approach because everything else is anecdotal and right. that is a dangerous thing. Right. I agree with you. All right, Gabe, you're down to your last question. Okay. This is for all the money. <laughs> How long are you personally prepared to quarantine? When are you going to hit your breaking point? Is that mentally or is it like my supplies? Whatever you think, whatever you want to say. Well, I think supplies wise, I'm fine. Um, you know, I actually just did a run yesterday at Costco uh, for like eggs and some other things. Okay. Um, so I think in that regard, we're, we're fine for, you know, five, six, seven weeks out. Um, we, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I think I'm at a different, I'm at a different advantage than other people because I've worked from home for two years. The only change in the dynamic now is that I can't go out and see a movie or I can't go to the bar and have a drink with you or other people. Right. Um, so I think that changes things. I personally have a tendency to be able to do the same thing for a long period of time. You know, like I can eat the same meal over and over again and I'm not, I won't get sick of it. Yeah. So I think that I might have an unfair advantage in terms of like what my breaking point is and what I'm acceptable to take. Um, but that's also because I think I have a, a different kind of perception of the situation, right? Like I'm, I've set an expectation and I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm just trying to be real with myself like you are. Right. And so I think I'm prepared to go as long as possible. I'm fine to go two months, you know, I'll see what happens at three months, but, um, I think at least for the next two months, I'm fine. No issue. As long as I can continue to like make content every day here in my house or whatever, or outside, then I'm fine. Great. Uh, I'm with you. I I feel almost guilty about it. I feel like Pauly Shore in jury duty where he's just like, uh, (laughs) he's just like, no, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's keep this thing going. Like, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to hold out uh, if that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's, and I, I can imagine some people who are like, uh, and I've seen online like, I'm so antsy. I gotta, gotta go do this. And it's like, you know, do what you gotta do within a safe distance, keeping yourself safe as well as other people. Um, but I can imagine, you know, people are already like, I've seen the memes out there where like someone's like day three of quarantine, no sports. I just found out my favorite color is green. What the hell is green? You know, it's like people making fun. And it's like, I think in it, yeah, I know. I think, and I will say this, I think at a time like this, the ability to escape into various forms of content, you know, 
not in an addictive format, but I think like watching a show or a movie or spending time with another, you know, significant other, or whatever, or like, especially humor and comedy and finding the, the funny or light kind of hearted approach to something while still taking everything else seriously, I think it's very important. Right. And I think comedy more than now is something that will become so important. Um, so you're saying we'll have jobs when I get back when this whole thing's over? Oh yeah. <laughs> um, we'll see how the industry recovers, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I think you and I, like you said, I think in a similar situation where it's like, we can, we can hold out for as long as we need to. And we have things to kind of keep us busy creatively, you know, mentally, physically, whatever it might be until we get to a point where they say quarantine's over. And then you say, okay, I guess Let's I'll go back it. to yeah, normal life. All right, man. Well, this is, this was great. Thank yeah, you so I really much. Thank you for having me. Me too, man. Thank you to Gabe and to talking all things California and coronavirus and everything else we went over. We went over yeah. a lot. Thanks for putting on the suit. I appreciate that. Stay safe. Spent too much time in California. Now I'm in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania.